the human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to The Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I am so delighted that you're with us here today. We have something so special. I know I say that every week, but this week, trust me, we really do. Go to the self-improvement blog, read our guest's bio, uh, take a look at his picture. If you scroll down, you're going to find some videos. They are so compelling. Please watch them. And by all means, get the book. It's one of the best books I've read in a very long time, and you, like me, will not be able to put it down. Back in the late 1970s, there was a bill before Congress regulating campgrounds for children. It required changes such as expanding door width, six campers allowed in a cabin, and other mandated changes that would have put many camps out of business, even if they were absolutely safe and had a reputation of excellence. My husband was a congressman who represented the majority of Indian reservations in Arizona. And that summer, when the fight raged to over-regulate summer camps and bring them up to standards that would have made them more like the Hilton, we spent the summer in a Winnebago traveling around the district. As a mom, I wanted my boys to have a camping experience that was safe, but still allowed them to rough it. The Winnebago took us deep into the Navajo Reservation, and one of the places we visited was a school miles and miles away from any other installation. They were responsible for about 300 children, ages 5 and up. There was no running water. Water was being brought in in barrels from miles away. There was no nurse and no doctor. There were 30 beds to a room in the dorms, bunk beds, most of which had no side rails. The buildings were so old and in such disrepair disrepair that they were truly hazardous. Cracks ran from floor to ceiling in some of the rooms. The children came to stay five days a week and most of them went home on the weekends. I had a five-year-old at the time and absolutely could not imagine him in one of those bunk beds without side rails or even being away from home five days a week every week. Seeing what was happening with these children, I cried. And I became very angry with a government that wanted to legislate most children's camps out of existence and at the same time kept Native American children in conditions that were near subhuman. It's the only time I lobbied my husband. He managed to get them a water tanker, a full-time nurse, a part-time doctor, and some other things. Whether the buildings were repaired, I don't know. 
What I do know is that hypocrisy was rampant in our government, and I developed a fierce love for a people who have suffered so much at its hands. We're going to talk about these people today, and our expert is Kevin Hancock. Kevin Hancock is the president of Hancock Lumber Company, established in 1848. Hancock Lumber operates 10 retail stores and three sawmills that are led, notice that, led by 460 employees. The company also grows trees on 12,000 acres of timberland in southern Maine. I want you to realize the vastness of this company. Kevin is a graduate of Lake Region High School and Bedoin College. He is also a frequent visitor to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. In 2015, Kevin published a book about his experience with the Oglala Sioux Tribe titled Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. The book won the National Indie Excellence Award, first place in leadership and runner-up in the spirituality category. Kevin is an advocate of strengthening the voices of all individuals within a company or a community such as Pine Ridge through listening, empowering, and shared leadership. He has a powerful story to tell, and I am so delighted to welcome Kevin Hancock to the Self-Improvement Show. Kevin, welcome. Irene, hello. Thank you so much for finding me and having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I find your story one of the most interesting and compelling that I've heard in a very long time. So let's start at the beginning. Who is Kevin Hancock? Tell us about yourself. It's it's an interesting question. It is. I love how the simplest questions are the most difficult to answer. Who is Kevin Hancock? Because all of us as humans have so many different uh, sides and facets to us. Uh, But at its simplest, I guess I would say I'm just just a pretty normal a uh, typical guy from a small town in Maine that grew up in the lumber business and ended up um, going on a, uh, an adventure of sorts that I never could have saw coming. You say on one of your videos, and it's in your book, that you lost your voice and went to a place where people have no voice. Tell us about losing your voice and then what led you to go to Pine Ridge. Such an interesting story. So in 2010, at the peak of the national housing and mortgage market collapse, I found myself suddenly having trouble speaking. When I would go to talk, all of the muscles in my throat would spasm and squeeze and contract, and my voice could get very choppy and broken and weak and hard to hear, and worse yet, it um, it felt like it took a major athletic feat for me to sometimes say just a few sentences, and I got dizzy and out of breath and didn't want to say very much. So I went to a doctor and then another doctor and another doctor before I yeah. finally ended up at the uh, mass eye and ear clinic down in Boston where Dr. Song gave me a diagnosis and told me I had 
spasmodic dysphonia, which is a rare neurological disorder that I'd never heard of that affects only speech with no known cause or cure. So I found myself that year trying to figure out how I'd help lead a lumber company through a housing crisis without being able to talk on a consistent basis. And I had no idea what I would do or what would happen next or where that would take me. But it turned out to be, uh, in the long run, an unbelievable hidden uh, blessing in disguise, Irene. They come that way sometimes, don't they? <laughs> this this one did for sure. Yes. And I'm amazed that you could bring a company through that crunch when you weren't able to speak. When you had more than 400 employees and how many stores and a a, a forest of trees and and everything's falling apart around you, it was a bad time all across the country. I lost my house in it. Uh, So I totally understand where you're coming from. And in all of that, I I know that you rescued the company, and I know it's really very strong today. So, you know, we we, we don't need to save the company today because there's so many things I really want to talk about. How did you get to Pine Ridge? Tell us about your mother and her gift to you and, you know, what else you, you know, what, what, propelled you there you know all the little pieces falling into place you can almost see a wonderful hand at work sure uh, and in hindsight i i can that's true so it by uh, 2012 the economy had stabilized and i could see our company my own tribe if you will was going to uh, be fine and i had a growing feeling that was uncomfortable at first, and I tried to ignore but couldn't, that it was time for me to serve myself a bit more, to regain my balance, if you will, or search for my voice. That summer, I was at an airport with my wife, Allison, and I picked up a copy of National Geographic, and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation was on the cover The cover read something like, In the Spirit of Crazy Horse, the Rebirth of a Sioux Nation. And I sat down and I read that article, and Irene, it was as if every soul or spirit ever connected to that story came out of that magazine and hugged me and pulled me in. And I finished reading it, and I leaned over to my wife, and I said, I want to go there. I want to see what modern-day life is like for the people that live there. And long story short, I uh, reached out, made a connection, took a trip, which turned into two, then three. I've since now been there <laughs> nine times and a, and a journal that I was keeping on that first trip turned into a book and a story that I wanted to share and tell. And then I really came to feel was almost being told uh, to me or through me. And I feel about your book the way you felt about the National Geographic. It pulled me in, and it hasn't let loose yet. 
On that note, I'd like to go to break. When we come back, we're going to get into more of the book and more about Pine Ridge. My guest today is Kevin Hancock, and we're saying stay tuned. We'll be back with more. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the Self Improvement Blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Kevin Hancock. We're talking about his book, Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse, and about what he's doing with the Sioux Tribe. Um, Let's talk a little bit, Kevin, about your book title. What is it that's not for sale? Right. Uh, sometimes people joke with me because they'll see the book and they'll say, oh, Kevin, that's so nice of you. The book is free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have to... that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to explain. I feel really small at that point and I have to explain, oh, no, it's, that's just the title. So the title Not For Sale has uh, dual meaning. Uh, first, for the uh, Sioux, the Lakota Sioux, uh, in the 1930s, they began a series of lawsuits against the federal government uh, for the taking over the taking of their land back in the 1870s and 80s. And as you might expect, uh, their lawsuits were thrown out of court and defeated and so forth. But they kept going, and in 1980, found themselves before the United States Supreme Court, 
who ruled in the tribe's favor and decided that the United States government had violated the Fifth Amendment rights of the Sioux by taking their land without just compensation. So the government went back and calculated what it felt the value of the land was in the 1870s, compounded the interest to the present day, and awarded the Sioux something like $120 million. Mind you, this is for a huge territory, what today would be pretty much all of South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, and most of Montana. And, and had tribe, gold on uh, it came back to the podium and said, Your Honors, uh, I'm sorry you don't understand. Our land is not for sale, and they won't take the money. Uh, the money today sits in trust and is worth over a billion dollars, and they won't take it on uh, principle. Uh, what they want is their land back. And then the title not for sale has a second meaning for me, personally, on a soulful, spiritual level, as a business person, a business executive, I came to see that I wanted to define myself and live my life more broadly than just through my business role, and that therefore I, too, was not for sale. So that's the meaning of the, behind the title. Um pretty potent the second part of your title is finding center in the land of crazy horse what do you mean by finding center what you know what are you using that term to mean a great question so center uh, for me came to mean the process of stepping beyond the boundaries of our own tribe, family, street, culture, and roles we play, and finding quiet in a 24-7 internet-wired go-go-go world to be still, think, and look inward for that true uh, voice and spirit of one's own soul. And that, to me, uh, finding that voice, each person's own true voice became um, symbolized in the phrase finding center. And I ended up going on that uh, modern day vision quest search, if you will, uh, in the land of Crazy Horse. So find the finding center in the land of Crazy Horse. And, of course, ironically, it took uh, partially losing my speaking voice to get me to stop and really look inward for my true voice, the voice of uh, my own soul or spirit. And that's a quest we all need to take no matter where we are or where we need to go to do that you know most of us need to do it where we are at the time and it's so interesting to me that you found your voice in a, when you didn't have any you know uh, physical voice in a place where in the most part another language is speak is spoken and 
you know, things are, are very quiet, very low-key, very different from, from where, you, where you lived, where you, you know, did your business. You know, right. The, the plight of the Lakota is as dire as it is in many of the reservations. Let's talk a little bit about their situation, their employment rate, the death rate, the annual income, the housing. Just give us a thumbnail of what that looks like. Uh, from your perspective, because in the book, the pictures, it looks pretty be- bleak. Sure. when I, Yes, and it, it uh, blew me away or it stopped me in my tracks and uh, gave me shivers to realize that there were communities in this country that had not yet recovered, Irene, from the quote-unquote winning of the West or what's more, had not yet recovered from Columbus's discovery of a new world. So uh, we had a national crisis back in 2010, economic crisis, when I uh, acquired my voice issues, when unemployment hit 9%. On the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation today, it is about 90%. Nine zero, the lowest life expectancies in the Western Hemisphere today are um, in Haiti. Second is Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Men, on average, live into their late forties, and women into their early fifties. And even though the people there are wonderful, smart, um, resourceful, loving, kind, creative human beings, they're no different than anybody else, the conditions, the economic conditions, and the health, uh, well-being statistics uh, were numbing to realize that right in the middle of this country, there were communities in that type of uh, economic shape. It, it's unbelievable. I, I was stunned when I read the average income is like $3,000 a year. Correct. We spend more than that in one month, most of us. Correct. I, I, I don't even know how they do that. And yeah, so they, they, I was just going like, to say they... Um, Yeah, the people there, I've heard more than one person describe their community's journey through modern American history as being from first to worst, before uh, Western expansion and before the reservation era, they were uh, a very strong, healthy, um, free community that traveled as they pleased, took care of themselves, and prospered. They were one of the strongest tribes on the plains, and today it's statistically the most economically challenged community in America. And we see what happens when the government takes care of you. You know, literally, that's what is happening there. But we see it other places where there are large pockets of welfare. People lose all incentive to work. Uh, they forget. Yeah, you're hitting there's... such an important point there. This really, uh, what you just said, Irene, really strikes at the center of the learning, part of the learning in my, in my book. What I, what I saw 
at Pine Ridge, I believed, was a universal human story wanting to unfold. It went something like this. Uh, before the coming of the Wasichu, which is the, the Lakota term for white people, and before the discovery of the gold, which the Lakota used to call the yellow metal that makes the white men crazy. Yeah, pretty <laughs> good description. The, before, <laughs> before the making and breaking of treaties and the creation of the res, when the Lakota were free and strong and self-sufficient, pretty much all the power in their communal structure went to the individual. The individual held the power and the responsibility. And the center, call it what you want, headquarters, the main office, the capital, was small, hard even to find. The great father in Washington would send negotiators out onto the plains, and they would show up and say, take me to your leader, and no one knew what that meant because nobody thought about leadership that way. Leadership was an individual truth. But after the conquest and the colonization, and I don't use this term lightly, but the genocide and the remaking yeah. of Indians as white people when they had been defeated and sequestered on their reservations, most of that power that once lived with the individual had been, call it what you want, um, beaten down and out, and power now lived with the great father in Washington and the War Department, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and ultimately the American-made version of the Tribal Council. And under that structure, the people have struggled. So what I saw at Pine Ridge was, in the old ways, the truth that the individual was the source of power, and each individual was responsible for knowing and living their own truth, finding their own voice, if you will, that that was the path forward for the future of the people of Pine Ridge, that the values of the past showed the path into the future. And, yeah, it's, it's a tough path. Two recurring themes I noticed from your conversations with the Sioux are about the loss of their own language and the loss or weakening of their own spiritual beliefs. And I found that to be true here in Arizona on the reservations too. I was allowed to speak to the high school students and I was encouraged to, to lure them away from their own belief system. I would not and could not do that. Um, I, it just was not something that I was able to do and and I you know we reading your book I realized the pain that that has caused you know what what a an unfair I guess I don't that's not a good word for it it's just so overwhelming to think that we had a right to tell somebody that their beliefs were not okay right no the um Again, it really stopped me in my tracks and made me feel numb and cold to realize that uh, the public, open, stated government policy in this country for almost a hundred years was simply to remake Indians as white people. 
Exactly. And what must that feel like if you are Indian, in this case, if you are Oglala or Lakota, generation after generation, and we're not talking about ancient history. I have many friends at Pine Ridge, elders there, who remember growing up in boarding Indian boarding schools, being um, spanked, hit, uh, for speaking their own language. If you were caught speaking your language, you were punished. Absolutely. Your hair was forcibly cut. You were forced to change your dress. Your religious customs were banned. And, um, and what must that really have felt like? I, I can't even imagine. I, I just can't imagine the pain that we have caused these people, whether they're Sioux or Navajo or Hopi or know whatever tribe because we've done that here as well in your opinion can this be reversed can they return to their own language can they you know rebuild their religious traditions their spirit not religious spiritual traditions you know back into what they were Uh, is this I mean and it would still change because we've evolved but now, can right. they reclaim their own heritage is, I guess, what I want to ask you. Right. I think that's a wonderfully uh, important question that, that most reservation communities in this country are dealing with. And at Pine Ridge, um, uh, the answer, I think, is yes. There is a real revival in their community of... Um, learning the language, keeping the language alive, celebrating the ancient traditions, customs, and values, but not uh, just in a way that that disengages or isolates from the rest of the world, but in a way that um, uses those values to strengthen people to uh, engage the world, because those values are not just relevant um, on reservations. They're values and ideas that hold real power and promise for humanity. Absolutely. There is a lot of power in the indigenous wisdom of this planet and bringing more of it back would not just be good for Pine Ridge. It would be good for the whole planet. And in that context, the people uh, of Pine Ridge have a lot to give the rest of the world, have a lot to share. Oh, I totally agree with you. You know, uh, Some of the, the most solid teachings I've received anywhere are from some of my friends who are Native Americans. I had a good friend who was a shaman, and he was open to share a lot with me, not everything. You know, he, he, they, they don't share everything, but, and that's okay. They should not, uh, because we don't, we don't know what to do with it sometimes. Right. Uh, so you true. know, what is, is there something that those of us who are not in a in a um, close proximity or in, in any way 
uh, in contact with Native Americans, whatever tribe they're in, is there something we can do uh, besides learn what the truth is? Well, that's a great question, too. I think, I, I do think learning and acknowledging the truth is in and of itself a powerful act. I think it is a critical, necessary step in reconciliation, seeing the truth, being aware, standing up and saying you know the truth and that you are sorry or not happy that it uh, happened. Beyond that, I do think it is easier than most people might think to find, visit, engage, and connect with a reservation community in this country. There are over 500, well over 500 federally recognized tribes. And the purpose of engaging is simply the power of connecting, stepping beyond the boundaries of our own comfortable tribe or neighborhood or community, and connecting with others, not even to fix, solve, or change anything, but just to be present, connected, and aware, human to human. I think that in and of itself is uh, the solution in the long run, the ultimate solution. I totally agree, and we're right in the center of any number here in Arizona. I'm just a few miles away from the Apache Reservation. Uh, and have have been familiar with a number of the the tribes, and I just I find them just so beautiful, <laughs> just so beautiful. I want to talk a little bit about some of the changes that this has brought about within you. Oh, in the book, you make the statement about being there with no schedule, no responsibilities, and you say, "I'm just learning to be." To, to just be. Talk about learning to just be. It, it, it was a very hard thing for me. I, I know. <laughs> I, and I think it's so true of much of our culture today. I was so into doing And I thought living and doing were the same thing. And I don't mean to diminish doing because humanity needs lots of doing as well. But everything, right, Irene, is about balance. Everything's about balance. And if there's too much doing and not enough being, then you've got imbalance. And, And being, to me, is really about just... Slowing down, calming down, stepping outside of our roles and the expectations we feel people have of us, feeling that connectivity that every human has with all other living things, that energy that lives in all things, and listening to the whispers or the voice of your own soul. And I feel, uh, although no medical doctor would probably agree with me, that um, I know why I acquired my voice disorder. It was a blessing in disguise. It was my soul's way of getting me to stop 
and sit still and reflect. And it can be scary to do this. I think one of the reasons we keep so busy is it's safer on a spiritual level because if we're super, super busy, we don't have to examine some of the deepest, most personal, difficult questions that dwell uh, within our own souls. Oh, it's a scary trip. And to do that, (laughs) (laughs) it's a scary trip. (laughs) One of my other favorite quotes for you, and this is when you were lost, and I I love that whole piece. You said, in this life, you don't always end up where you think you are going. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is so true. I mean, I never would have uh, saw any of this coming into my life, and it's made me learn. I mean, I still plan and prepare, but um, but it's made me learn to more um, flow and just be alert because I've come to believe that our future bumps into us pretty much every day, but we're often too busy or too in a zone or a routine, a mindless routine to see it. And to listen, truly listen to the uh, energy of the universe and where it's wanting to take us. So it was really about learning to um, to flow, plan less and flow more. <laughs> yes. Every now and then I find myself sort of saying, you want me to do what? <laughs> no, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. you also state and you you say you learned this from the Lakota becoming more self-aware doesn't limit your contribution to your own tribe it actually enhances it talk about the power of the individual spirit which you, you shared a little bit and how your understanding or realization of this has changed your life and your leadership um, approach to leadership or your approach to your job as uh, CEO of your company? Yeah, it was, uh, that's a great question, and, uh, and it was all dramatic. I mean, I grew up in a pretty conservative uh, state in a conservative industry, and uh, the um, dominant uh, mantra is really about service, to others and sacrifice of self, and I totally get that, but again, only to a point, everything is about balance. So once, and I had been kind of serving others so deeply and consistently that I had started to lose track of the essence of who I was, separate from all of my roles, um, all alone, if you will, on a, on a hilltop, a rolling ridge on the northern plains with the wind and the golden grass and the buffalo. Who am I that, um, that isolated? And, and so I came to see, though, Irene, that once I started daring to serve myself a bit more, that it actually was making me more valuable to others and that somewhat counterintuitively, therefore, being selfish in the right way was self 
less. For when we follow that unique voice inside us, that which makes you you, that which makes you light up and glow, we can't help but impact others in a really authentic, pure, powerful way. And that serving oneself is not an idea that um, should be thought of negatively. And in fact, interestingly enough, I think it's something that, um, that every individual could pretty much probably do more of. And that notion was embedded in the ancient rites of the Sioux because, again, their culture was all about the importance of strong individuals. And we have been taught... Um, not to be selfish, to put everybody else first, and and all of that. The Catholics have a wonderful little Latin phrase that goes, "Non habit, non dabit." You can't give what you don't have. So yeah. if you if you haven't taken care of yourself and you haven't developed yourself, you really have nothing to offer. Correct, and that and that this journey uh, is really about. <laughs> each individual soul finding and living their own true voice, and that is what makes us powerful and gives back the most to the world around us. And that's really what this whole journey is about. You know, it really is. Talk a little bit about awareness without judgment. I think that's such a powerful phrase, awareness without judgment. Right. So at Pine Ridge uh, and the other reservations uh, in the West, there's such a long, multi-generational history of people um, from away coming there to, quote-unquote, fix them. You know, solve their problems, tell them what they should do differently. And that doesn't work. It does not work. And it wasn't what... Um, brought me to Pine Ridge. The, the joy and the power I found at Pine Ridge was simply being connected and aware, understanding the history and the present challenges without judging it. In our society today, we constantly try to rush to um, what's wrong, who did this, and how do we fix it. But um, awareness, just being aware and just being connected in and of itself is very powerful. The people that live at Pine Ridge uh, are wonderfully talented people. They're human, so they're no different than the rest of us. They're funny, creative, resourceful, uh, proud, brave, strong, caring. They have within them all the tools they need to move themselves and their community forward once a critical mass of uh, connectivity, reconciliation, and forgiveness has occurred. Oh, and I would say that's really major on, on, their, on their part. You, you look at our history and you wonder how they could forgive what we've done. I mean, I, you think about it. I was thinking about it last night. What if we walked into somebody's 
gorgeous new house up on the mountain somewhere with, you know, everything anybody could want. And we walked in and said, this isn't yours anymore. I know you built it and you've lived here since the beginning of it, but it's mine now. And that's what we did. Correct. And that's what we did. One of the things I, um, you know, you can see when you look at that story and, frankly, when you look at much of human history is that throughout time, those who have held the power have often overreached. They've gone too far. And I came to believe and wrote about in this book that in the Aquarian age, the new age we're in, the key trait for future leaders is restraint. Restraint, having the power but not using it, holding back. And I saw this even in my own little uh, work world where before I had my voice problems, you know, it would have been easy for me to do all the talking, set all the meeting agendas, make all the big decisions, and be the singular voice. But when I lost my voice, I couldn't do that. And um, the simple act I ended up taking was restraint. And restraint gives space for everyone else in the community to have their own voice. And what has that done for your company? Well, it revolutionized it. Our company took off. Our company took off. I mean, it's so obvious to me now that that an organization where everybody leads is, is a much more powerful and dynamic entity than a traditional structure where just a few people hold all the cards, do all the talking, and become the voice of the organization. And I think what you see playing out around the world today, all kind of the chaos and uh, difficulty, is really about making this transition from the Piscean Age to the Aquarian Age. In the Piscean Age, it was very much about uh, leaders who are saviors, if you will, whether it was the Greek or Roman Empire or a church or a corporation. It was about that one or two dominant individuals who could speak for everyone. But in the Aquarian age, increasingly, I feel, each individual soul wants to know and speak their own truth on a personal level. And again, interestingly enough, Irene, going right back to that ancient traditional value of the Sioux represented in the vision quest and other rites that uh, the individual is his or her own source of truth, power, and salvation. And I think we're seeing that in any number of arenas in in our in our civilization, it's interesting. You know, some people are kicking and screaming, but many are not. <laughs> yeah. What, what, let, let's see if we can ca- encapsulate this. What are the major things, if we can put them all together, that you've learned? The key things you've learned from your trips to Pine Ridge. Yeah, I would say the key lesson or lessons would be first that. Um, 
that we all come from a tribe. Every human being comes from a, a neighborhood, a street, an era, a culture, and that tribe pulls on us to act a certain way, do certain things, and think a certain way. But each soul is here to individuate, as the great American mythologist Joseph Campbell once said, we are the truth we need, we seek to know. We are the truth we seek to know. And that the path of life is about the soul individuating and finding his or her own voice and living that truth and not getting caught up, overly caught up in the pull or dogma of our tribe. And while that story happened to be in this case about me and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, it's a universal, timeless human story. I really came, have come to believe that, um, that the soul is the being and, and the body uh, is a vessel and the soul is here to learn and grow and find its own voice. And it took me losing mine on a literal level to find it on a spiritual, uh, more important level. It makes me think of Rumi's, the soul is here for its own joy. This statement, the soul is here for its own joy. How has your life changed since you first walked on to Pine Ridge? Well, it's changed uh, very much for the better. It's made, um, I've become a much uh, calmer person. I've become a much more... um, peaceful person and and one who's more um, respectful of of others um, globally. I mean, I've really come to see and believe that that in the end there's only one tribe. It's a human, single human tribe sharing a single planet on which we've convinced ourselves we're different and we're separate, but we're not. And I think the great awakening of the Aquarian age is going to be overcoming that um, that tribalism and learning to uh, embrace a single global humanity, of which the great... Um, uh, Black Elk actually foretold, spoke about, and wrote about. There was a great deal of wisdom in their leaders. I, you know, I was, I can't say I was astonished, but I was really impressed with their wisdom and some of the statements they made. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, one of my favorites is, Chief Joseph, but he's not a Sioux. <laughs> but he, he has that same reflective wisdom. What's next for Kevin Hancock? Well, that's a fun question. The old me, Irene, would have wanted to have planned that out years in the future. And the new me is learning to just stay 
uh, alert and aware because what's next will um, come my way if I'm awake, alert, and um, looking for it. People ask me, for example, even now, what I'm doing to um, advance or promote the book, and I don't even think about it that way. I tell people I'm just trying to make time to follow the book. So when someone uh, really cool like yourself finds it and it speaks to them, I'm just trying to be available. And the book has um, just built really cool relationship and friendship uh, one after another, including this one. I'm so um, so happy. Now, well, your to your book didn't you. speak to me. Your book didn't speak to me. It shouted. <laughs> <at me. laughs> you got to you got you got to get this on. <laughs> you got to do this. <laughs> so I decided maybe I better pay attention. Now and then I pay attention, not always. <laughs> What's right, the me thought? too. That's what it means to be human. <laughs> I sometimes I have to be hit in the head with a baseball bat before yeah, I. Yeah, well, I oh. have to lose my voice, so I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the thought you want to leave with our listeners today, Kevin? We're right up at the end of the show. Yeah, I think it would be this thought: the uh, boundaries that we think divide us are not real. We all belong to the same tribe. Every time I leave the Pine Ridge Reservation and drive west, I stop at the South the Little Sign where no one's there that separates South Dakota from Wyoming. And I smile and have a good laugh because that boundary is not real. We've divided up the planet and convinced ourselves that these boundaries are real, but they're not. We are a... uh, single human tribe we uh, we're all connected what a lovely thought to end on kevin thank you so much for your openness your willingness to be transparent and to share with us the things you shared today i i I thank you so much for being on the show I love being on your show, Irene, and uh, many blessings to you and uh, all your listeners and friends and family. We may have to do it again. This is I would Irene. Love that. I'll be ready. <laughs> okay. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Kevin Hancock, saying thank you so much for being with us today. Come back next week for more of the Self Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.